We live in a, a very interesting era these days. Thanks to rapidly ever-increasing technology, we are more connected than we ever have been before. Connected to other people around the world, really. You know that when you used to leave the house, you were unreachable? <laughs> you, people had to call your house and they had to leave a message that you might get hours later. And not too many years ago, if you wanted to actually write something to someone, you had to use something called a pen and paper <laughs> and the postal system. And your message might not arrive till days later. Now we send emails and text messages and things like that that arrive instantaneously. And when we leave the house, almost all of us take a, a mobile phone with us. And we can be reached by anyone, anywhere, at any time, around the world even. We have Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and other social media out the wazoo all the time. We can even talk to someone. This is mind-blowing. We can talk to someone using live video on the other side of the globe. We are more connected than we have ever been before. And yet, I believe we are also less connected than we have ever been before. We spend, if you think about it, far less time looking into each other's faces and eyes, just having a conversation. We spend less time talking in person. Our lives are consumed on screens. We have hundreds of surface and superficial relationships, but very few deep and lasting ones. Many studies are coming out that, that say the more that we socialize, funny, the more that we socialize through technology, the more lonely or isolated we inevitably end up feeling. Now, I'm not a technology Scrooge thinking that all technology is evil. It's not, not at all. I use technology all the time. But I think that we should honestly evaluate things and to critique them. And the tendency that it has to actually distance us from relationships, to distance us from loving one another is ominous, really. If we're not careful, we can end up like the people on the spaceship in Wally. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Sitting right next to each other, without even realizing the other exists. We are both more and less connected than ever before. And this becomes all the more important when we understand what God's ideal for us is. It says it is not good for man to be alone. People weren't created for isolation or aloneness. God, God created us to be in relationship and community with other people. And for anyone who is a, a follower of Christ, we're saved to be part of a people, plural people. We are meant to be connected to one another in Jesus' church. Just like my hands are connected to my arms or my feet are connected to my legs. And that's a biblical picture. The Bible repeatedly describes the church as the body of Christ. That like parts of a body, we are metaphorically and spiritually connected to one another. 
And this really, if you really dwell on this and meditate on this, this has far-reaching implications for the way that we view the church, the way that we love the church, the way we act as the church. Huge implications for our lives. There are two similar passages in the Bible that really hone in on this and talk about the church as a body. So we're going to look at both of them today. Today we'll begin in Romans 12. So you can turn there now with me. Romans 12, we'll be starting from verse 3, so that's on page 948 in the Pew Bibles, if you're using one of them. And later on, we're going to also flip ahead to see what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians 12 as well. If you're confused, we're taking just a short break from the book of Job. We'll return to his story in October, but this is an important study for us now at this stage of our life as a church. Once you find your place in Romans 12, I invite you to pray with me once again before our Father. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word once again, we pray for your grace and your wisdom that you would pour down your love on us, pour down understanding on us. Help. We pray that your spirit would illuminate our hearts, illuminate our minds to understand these things, uh, that we would be convicted and encouraged and drawn closer to you through them. We ask this for each person, each heart in this room today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Romans is basically a long, deep, and beautiful explanation of the gospel. It's really what it is. From chapters 1 to 11, Paul describes the good news of Jesus in really great detail. Many well-known passages and verses fill the pages. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But, but God shows, he demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For I am sure, convinced, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, and on and on nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. That's how the end of chapter 11 goes. In chapter 12, Paul makes a sharp turn in his flow of thought to talk about how all these awesome truths impact our everyday lives. So that was gospel truth. Now, what does gospel living look like? And in the beginning of chapter 12, it starts this way. I appeal to you, they, to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then Paul, perhaps surprisingly, makes a beeline for the church. 
Look what he says in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more, more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For, as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, and he goes on and lists some, some verses of gifts, spiritual gifts there. But do you catch Paul's flow of thought? Okay, throughout the whole book, really? It's like, we were all sinners, lost and dead in our sin, but Christ has saved us. Now, we're part of his church. We're part of his body. See, the church is an absolutely vital aspect of our lives once we've been saved. If you don't believe me, just read the New Testament. In fact, I believe we are called to love the church. To fall in love with the family of God. Jesus says in John 13, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then the New Testament repeats that like a dozen times. Love one another. Peter says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. John says in 1 John, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then he goes on to say that if we don't love each other, we likely don't love God. So let me ask you, do you love the church? Some of you certainly do. Others maybe don't. Some of you may have been hurt by the church. Or you go disillusioned with it. You're just apathetic to it. But no matter how you feel, no matter what's happened to you in the past, if Jesus has saved you, you are called to be actively connected to other believers and to love them. In the same way that Christ loved you, even though you hurt him. If we love Jesus today, we must realize that loving his body is far more than just a matter of feelings. This is a matter of obedience to God. We are commanded to love one another. And how do we do this? How should we love the body of Christ? I believe Paul will show us how in very practical ways today. Look at verse 3 first. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. So God had graciously given Paul a message to spread, given him authority to proclaim it, and this adds gravity to what he encourages to do next. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So, do you want to fall in love with the body of Christ, or fall deeper in love with the body of Christ? It starts here. First point, loving the body of Christ as we ought begins with thinking of ourselves with honest 
humility. Loving the body of Christ as we ought begins with thinking of ourselves with honest humility. First thing we have to do is get a major mindset adjustment. Because looking outward properly begins with looking inward properly. And because our culture, just like Paul's culture, has conditioned us to think the opposite way. Look at verse 3 again. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Without explicitly saying so, Paul is addressing pride and humility here. Possibly the greatest danger to any church and any any individual Christian is pride. Which could essentially be defined as thinking too highly of yourself. The dictionary defines pride as a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority. The Bible defines it as sin. Ever since Eden, when mankind thought we could become like God, pride has been our downfall. It is our natural bent to always think of ourselves first or as more important or as better than others. And I think Paul brings this up here because in the context of the church because pride actually prevents us from loving one another. Because we love ourselves instead. We become hot shots or power hungry or lobby for our own selfish goals and love for one another loses out. Here are a few signs that pride may be an issue for you. Okay? One, you don't think pride is an issue for you. (laughs) Or... You subconsciously expect others to serve you and you resent them if they don't. Or you hate it if no one notices or thanks you after you serve them. Or you think the church should fulfill your needs and if it doesn't, you could take it or leave it. Or... You think there are some inferior Christians to you in this room. Paul's like, no! Stop it! Don't be so drunk on yourself! Sober up! Okay? By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The cure... For pride is honesty and humility. Okay? We, we should think, who are we really? Who are we really in true reality, in God's eyes? If we're honest, if we really are honest, we'd have to admit that we are very limited, that we're totally dependent, screw-ups. We're not God. We're not overly strong. We're not all that. We're just one person 
We can't survive on our own. Worst of all, we are frequent sinners against a holy God. And because of that, we justly deserve hell. Now, this doesn't mean that we should have extremely low self-esteem all the time. The cure for that is to remember who you are now in Christ if you've been saved. That you are loved and that you are justified and forgiven and adopted and redeemed and cleansed and so much more. You are not meaningless. Okay, God has given you eternal value and purpose. But none of that makes you any better than any other person around you. And none of that makes God dependent on you or indebted to you. Message paraphrases verse 3 this way. It says, I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. So how do you view yourself today? Do you think fairly highly of yourself? I think most of us do. And if so, we must humble ourselves before the Lord today. And he promises because we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. And then we must be extremely grateful once again for his grace that changes our reality. We have to do this over and over again. We've got to let God give us a mindset adjustment. So I hope you do that this morning. Let him change the way you think of yourself. Because that changes the way you see other people. And that's why, really, we ask, well, what does this have to do with the church? Or why should we actually want to think about ourselves with honest humility? I mean, pride is easy and natural. Honesty and humility, they're hard and, well, humbling. So why should we love the body by thinking of ourselves with honest humility? Paul answers, because we really do need each other. Loving the body of Christ as we ought begins with thinking of ourselves with honest humility because we really do need each other as the body of Christ. Like, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Think with sober judgment. Why? Look with me in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one of another. Tell me if you've heard this one before. All you need is to believe in yourself. Or, you've got to look within yourself to find all the strength you need. This is what we're taught everywhere these days. 
Everywhere turn, it has even invaded the church, this rampant individualism. We always look inside ourselves. But God's word says, yes, you are individuals, but you belong to something much bigger than yourself. And you need that. And that's when Paul brings up the picture of the church as a body again. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. He's essentially saying that we are not independent, we're interdependent. He actually says that we are members of one another. We belong to each other. Like your hands belong to you, or my toes belong to me, or we belong to each other. We're quite limited in and of ourselves, but God has placed us together in a body. Some of us are fingers, some of us are eyes, some of us are nerves, some of us are lungs. Some of you might even... Get the uh, privilege of being a fun part like a spleen or a pancreas. (laughs) But the fact is, we are powerless and pointless without the rest of the body. When we are part of the body, we have a distinct and important function or role. Ears hear, hearts beat, arteries pump, stomachs digest, feet walk, brains think. But, have you ever seen a brain in a jar? Or a cut-off finger? A, A pulled tooth? What function do they provide? What role do they fill? If you think you can do the Christian life apart from the body of Christ, you delude yourself. If you're truly saved, you are part of a body, of the body of Christ. Verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You notice those two little words there in verse 5, in Christ, in Christ, Really, Christ is the source and the cause of the church coming together. He gives us purpose. He gives us purpose to fulfill, to further Christ's work, to follow Christ's example, to spread Christ's gospel. The church is nothing without him. Sadly, I think many churches today have left the true church because they've left Jesus behind. Do you know how the church was actually formed in the first place? The same way that you and I were saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Acts 20, 28 tells us that Jesus obtained the church of God with his blood. He purchased the church. So the the church was formed by Jesus' death and in order to spread Jesus' story. Now, you may be here thinking, all this stuff about belonging to a body and stuff, it sounds so, it sounds wonderful to be part of a loving body of people like that. But I don't feel like I have any of that because I don't get this whole Jesus thing. You're right. And things may be even worse than you think. Remember, we've got to be totally honest about ourselves. 
We've all done wrong. We've all fallen short. We have wronged God terribly. And we all deserve hell. But the incredibly good news of the gospel is that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to earth. To live the life that you and I failed to live. To die the de- our death in our place that we deserved. So that now we can be completely forgiven. We can be generously given eternal life. We can be beautifully restored to a right relationship with God. At, at peace with Him. And we can be lovingly adopted into the family of God. If you feel that pull on your heart today. Don't ignore that. And what you need to do is very simple, like the verse I quoted earlier. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It may be painful as you have to leave your pride and your sins behind. But it's totally rewarding. Totally worth it as you receive God's grace in Jesus. I'd be honored to, to speak more with you about that. If you, if you have questions or you, you want to talk to someone, come see me after the service. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of his grace. And that grace changes us to look away from ourselves and to look toward one another. Just like Christ did for us, denying himself and taking up his cross. May we do this for each other because we really need each other. And they need us, we need them. It goes both ways. The other passage that makes this very clear is 1 Corinthians 12. So keep a finger or bookmark or paper, something there in Romans 12. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 12, which is the very next book of the Bible. The Pew Bibles is page 959, 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read a chunk of verses together here, starting in verse 12. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, so also the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is... God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Paul's making a lot of the same point that he was making back in Romans. You may think that other people are either more valuable or less valuable than you are in the church. The truth is, we all need each other. We are interdependent. Some of you might think, well, because I'm not a pastor, I'm not really a minister. 
Or because I'm not, I don't lead worship or teach Sunday school, I'm not that important. Or because I don't have a super special skill, the church doesn't need me. Wrong. Look again in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So God made you exactly the way you are. And if he's placed you in the church, that church needs you. Even if you think you're weaker or weirder or too young, too old, less significant. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may they have the same care for one another. So it is precisely some of those that seem least likely to play a major part that, part that prove to be the most indispensable to the body's functioning. Physically, this could refer to stomachs or tongues or eyelids or intestines. Spiritually, this could refer to you. Everyone is indispensable. And that means, verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We are truly interconnected. This week I hurt my thigh for a couple days. Nothing serious, but it was painful. Now, do you think the rest of my leg or my mind or any my hands could ignore that pain? No, definitely not. When one part is in pain, the whole body feels it. The whole body adjusts. And if you're truly part of the body of Christ, when someone around you hurts, you'll hurt. When someone around you is happy, you'll be happy with them. If you don't feel this, either you're not part of the body or you're just insensitive. But all of us need this. We need to foster a growing sensitivity to the needs of the body around us, that we feel this with each other as the body of Christ. And really, God's love should be eradicating any insensitivity and selfishness that is inside of us. It could be slow and gradual, but it should be changing us. Now, some of you here may think, well, I, just don't, I don't get how I could actually play a major part. I'm not that special. I, I'm just a little old me. I, I don't have much to offer. But think again. Because you're not just little old me anymore. 
you are you plus the all-powerful Holy Spirit. The Spirit indwells all believers. And one of the things the Spirit does is He fully enables us to love in the way that God intended us to love. He empowers us to do this. Here's what we see in the other sections of these passages, that loving the body of Christ effectively is empowered by the Spirit giving us gifts. Okay, loving the body of Christ effectively is empowered by the Spirit giving us spiritual gifts. Since you're already in 1 Corinthians, we'll look at that first. Back in verse 1. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And then in verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, in the body of Christ, there are a huge variety of people with different abilities and different giftings. But Paul keeps emphasizing both the variety and the sameness. Did you notice that? The differences and the, the similarity in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. In other words, our differences shouldn't drive us apart, but together. We may be really different from one another. We've got the same God, the same Spirit, the same Lord. Therefore, our differences shouldn't divide us, they should make us stronger. Because we need each other in all the various gifts of the Holy Spirit. There is no such thing as a true believer who doesn't have a spiritual gift. It doesn't exist. Verse 6, there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So on your spiritual birthday, the day that you were born again into God's family, you received a gift, whether you know it or not. You received a gift. Maybe it was a new gift. Maybe it was an empowered version of a talent or skill that you already had. But whatever the case, God's Spirit came inside of you and blessed you with a gift. Something that you could use to contribute to the body. You were given a way to give back from what you so abundantly received. I don't want to guilt trip you today with this. I want to try to tell you this is what you were made for. 
Okay, if you were, you were made to love God and to love others. You were saved to do this within the body. Your spiritual gift gives you power, power to love God and love others as Christ loved you. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And in verse 11 again, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 1 Corinthians there lists a number of different gifts many of them miraculous gifts. And some of you might think, well, do these particular gifts still exist today? That's a big question that I'm not going to get into today. (laughs) Because, really, it's beside the point of this point. Only to say, no matter what, you have been given a gift. You've been given a gift that is not extinct or beside the point. This list is not an exhaustive list of gifts. We see a number of different ones back in Romans 12. So you can turn back there, find your bookmark. Romans 12, where we were before. And these gifts that Paul lists may sound a bit more common to you, but they're still just as supernatural. Verse 5 says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Some of us have a gift to be able to teach others or to lead others. Still others of us have a gift to serve others, or to exhort others, to spur them on in their faith. Still others have a special ability to give generously, or to do acts of mercy. And there are certainly other spiritual gifts as well. There's other lists in the New Testament. But some of you are thinking, well, what if we don't know what our gifts are? Good question. You might need to explore or experiment. Okay, Get feedback from others around you. You can talk to us. We can try to help you out. There are, there are surveys you can do that have been made that are useful sometimes. You can, you can ask, what are you gifted in? What are, your, what are your talents? What do you find energizing? By the way, in uh, November, we have a special guest coming to lead a Sunday afternoon workshop called Discovering, Developing, and Deploying Your Spiritual Gifts. So, if you're wanting to serve or more, serve more effectively, that could be a help. Put it on your calendar. Another, by the way, nearly all, if not all, the spiritual gifts can be used within a small group. Your small group can help you determine your gifts, and it can give you an outlet to use them for the good of, the, of others around you. Now, have you ever given someone a gift, maybe for a birthday or for Christmas, and then a few months later, you're, you see the gift you gave them in their house, but it's still in the box or bag it came in? 
and completely unused. How does that make you feel? Unappreciated? Disappointed? Maybe like you gave a bad gift? Uh, think back at Christmas. My wife gave me a, a great power tool, a circular saw. And I still haven't used it. <laughs> but I love having it. It's not for, it's really just for lack of opportunity to use it. I haven't had a project on the go that needed it. But what if I had a project that would, that I could really use this saw for, and I decided, oh, I'm not going to use that. I'm going to go grab the steak knife from the kitchen. <laughs> Maybe building a deck or something. I'm going to really work on this wood with this and, you see that, and well, why aren't you using the gift? But I think that's what we sometimes do with the gifts God gives us. We leave them dormant or unused. But God gave you the gift for a reason. He wants you to use it. Because there's a reason for this. And that's the final thing we'll see from God's word today. That loving the body of Christ effectively is empowered by the Spirit giving us gifts which really need to be used. The Spirit empowers our love with spiritual gifts which really need to be used. There is only one command given in Romans 12 from verse 6 to 8. Did you notice it? Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. All the other instructions that follow are based on this one. Use your gifts. And in case you think this message only applies to other people today, I mean, some of you are thinking, now this is such an important message for Tom. <laughs> He doesn't do enough around here. <laughs> but seriously, some of you are thinking that about other people here. Actually, this passage is directed to everyone, you and me included. Look at verse 3. For the brick, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. And 1 Corinthians 12, 6 says, The same God empowers them all in everyone. Are you part of Everyone. Everyone in the body of Christ? I hope so. If not, you need to come to the Lord. If so, you need to serve your Lord. Because everyone's been given a gift which really needs to be used. I'm going to have most of you stand up in a minute to illustrate this point, but not everyone needs to stand up, okay? Here who's, here's who gets a pass on standing up. Okay, first of all, if you're not fully committed to following Jesus, okay? Second, if you're not fully committed to being part of the local church. And third, if you're asleep. <laughs> Everyone else has to stand up, okay? And no judging those who stay seated, okay? They are welcome here. Okay, so go ahead and stand up. If you're standing right now, we as the body of Christ need you. Okay? Notice that I didn't have you 
sit down if you are really old or really young or physically weak. Because there are still critical roles that you can play, even if you're limited or if you're weak. God works through our weaknesses. Now, a number of you, a great number of you, are already serving and loving the body extensively. And I want to express deep gratitude for you and to just encourage you, keep it up. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this to everyone who's serving. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Take that to heart. For the sake of this experiment, okay, if you serve more than around five hours a week, go ahead and sit down. More than five hours a week. Okay, maybe some people do. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher or a small group leader or something like that. Now, if you sit down, no judging those who stay standing. <laughs> okay? If you're still standing, whether you serve a little bit or a lot or not at all, we need you to step up and be the body of Christ. Be totally honest with you, some of our ministries here at Calvary are in pretty dire straits right now. That's just being totally honest. The body is hurting in places, and we need all of our members to be functioning. Go ahead and sit down, okay? Just remember I'm talking to you. <laughs> okay, we need all of our members to be functioning active parts of the body of Christ. To, to show you some of that need, you probably already saw it, the form in your bulletins we printed out. You can pull it out now, put it in your hands. Because we know that the gifts to make the body fully functioning are out there, in the body. And we want to give you the opportunity to use them for God's glory. If you're like, I've got no time for this, or maybe I'm rarely here, well, then your priorities got to change. <laughs> it's as simple as that. You need this, and other people need you. If you're wondering where you can find a place in loving the body, where there's needs, or maybe God's given you a heart to serve just a little bit more, in a little bit more substantial way, take a look at this form, pray about it, fill it out, hand it in today or next week, and give it to me, and give it one to, the, to one of the small group leaders at the back. Okay, Or if you look at this and you don't see yourself here, you don't see any of your gifts, come and talk to us. Talk to your small group. Talk to the leaders in the church. We want you to belong to the body. We want you to love and to be loved. And we want you to glorify God. That's why we're here. Glorifying Jesus by loving his body should be our predominant motivation and goal all along. Now, I've said all along today, we're to love the body. Even though you might not have noticed the word love anywhere in these passages. You notice that? But I know that to be the point because of the context around them. See, both of these passages conclude with two of the most powerful passages on love in the Bible. We stopped at Romans 12.8. Look at verse 9 says, let love be genuine, 
Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. And he continues on from there. Let me ask you, what comes after 1 Corinthians 12? 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter. Did you know that the love chapter isn't about marriage, but about the church? If I have every gift and every power, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So you want to spend your life doing something that will make an eternal difference? Something that's going to endure everything? Both make an eternal difference in, in your life and in the lives of others? I tell you today, invest in loving the body of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that it motivates love for each other. We pray now that as as we look at your words, we would not feel your judgment, but that we would feel your grace. Thank you for the freedom and the opportunity to serve one another in love. I pray that we would be a healthy, functioning body of Christ here in Ottawa for the sake of our city and for the sake of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.